Welcome to the Alex Joshi Podcast. My guest today is my friend and colleague, Jonathan. Jonathan and I worked together as immigration paralegals at my last job. He was kind enough and eager to talk about his struggle with ADHD early in childhood, the challenges he faced, how he ultimately overcame it, and then, of course, his fond love for film and television just like me. Let's listen to Jonathan. Hope you enjoy it. So, uh, so thanks, thanks for doing the podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, well, it's, it's a pleasure, Alex. Um, when you told me about this, I, I knew that I had to be on there, and it's not because I like to hear myself speak, but uh, rather because uh, I'd like to help out a friend, and, you know, it's, it's always great to uh, converse with you about a wide variety of topics, and when you told me all the things that you had talked about with everyone else, I'm like, well... I got to get my two cents in too. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm so glad you're here. So, uh, so we know each other from work. We've known each other for about a year now. And oh yeah. We had the, it feels like longer though. Yeah, it does. I had the good fortune of meeting you uh, last October, two Octobers ago. Oh, two many moons ago. <laughs> many many moons ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> many moons ago we met. When the moon was red and we were being chased by George. <laughs> it's, uh, before yeah, the dark no, times. Not... Before the empire. <laughs> the, before the dark times. Before COVID. <laughs> exactly. So, Social so, distance. So I, I don't really have a, a, you know, a formal, like, segments or anything. So, you know, just... By all means, tell everybody what's uh, what's on your mind. What's what's our topic of conversation today? What's on my mind? Now that is actually a funny question, and I'll tell you why. Why? Um, anybody that knows me, including you, knows that I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But when you ask me a question like "What's on my mind?" Well, goodness gracious, <laughs> where to start? <laughs> So, you, I, I, so, so that's what you want to talk I, about, ADHD? I do. I want to talk about, you know, ADHD and whatever else comes to mind. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> um, so, so tell me about it. Cause I actually, I mean, I know what the letters stand for, but I don't know, you know, other than, uh, other than what, you know, media said of like, oh, yeah, you can't pay attention. And, you know, people take Ritalin for it. and. Or kids are kids are put on Ritalin for it, like that. That's that's all I know. So, is is any of that true, or how much of that is true? Oh, great question, great question. So, all right. So, the perceptions that the media and other people have of ADHD are incomplete at best and untrue at worst. Okay. Um. Yes, uh, kids are put on Ritalin and Adderall and all that garbage. Uh, believe me, been there, done that. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. I'll tell you what I think of medicine. <laughs> but um, the, the fact of the matter is there's a fundamental uh, misunderstanding about ADHD, um, when the symptoms manifest, how they manifest, and, you know, how all-encompassing it can be, uh, more than just uh, affecting your attention, but... Uh, your relationships with other people, um, your social interactions, everything, everything. It is, it is, um, it is basically defines your entire lifestyle. It is a state of being, a state of mind, uh, more than anything. And um, I, I find that, like you know, just there, there's some people who tell me, and I, and I think they mean well. But sometimes I, it kind of prickles me a little. It's like, oh, you don't seem like you have ADHD. And then in the back of my mind, I'm just like, what does that mean? Um, what is that supposed to mean? When were you? you know, maybe it, when were you first diagnosed with it? I was diagnosed when I was five or six years old, um, and around the it's somewhere in the early to mid nineties. Um, the details are a little bit fuzzy, but. I do remember um, there was a doctor I went to. Her name was Dr. Brunel. She was from España. <laughs> um, 
And um, she was a wonderful uh, doctor for me for many years and psychiatrist. Um, we went to many experts at first before settling on her because she was the only one who wasn't a quack. Um, she was. The she, rest of them. She was from Spain, rest, or you you lived in Spain, and that's how you met her. She was a she was a doctor through Kaiser, um, and so my mom at first didn't know really. She didn't know much about ADHD. She didn't know what to do, and you know it was difficult to manage me as a child. I was very hyper. I was very all over the place. Um, she was a little bit desperate. Um, now, so, how how is it different from ADD? Is there a distinction? Yes, um, ADD is mostly centered on focus issues with concentration, more learning disabilities. ADHD is that extra, you know, there's that extra impulsiveness to like. ADD is more scatterbrained, whereas ADHD has elements of ADD, but it has that extra oomph. It's like, um, think of it like, you know, like, um, what's the best way? I'm trying to think of the best analogy for it. It's just kind of like, if you like this product, you'll like the Max product. ADHD is like, you know, like the final form of ADD. <laughs> You know, like Frieza's final form. I still have one more transformation. I mean, so what? Other than a focus, so like, okay, ADHD kids, they're not able to focus, and then. Um. So let me let me run it down for you the best I can. Um. So there's like, okay, so focus and concentration applies to so many different things. So let me run that down for. So when I say I can't focus, it means that it's hard for me to work on one single task if it doesn't interest me, for example. If I'm not interested in something, I don't do it. Okay. I just yeah, I just can't do it. Like, I have to be interested in order to be able to focus. That's a big misconception that we don't focus. Oh, we focus, but on what we want to focus on. And what, um, so what, hel- what helps it, you get in that state or what or what kicks you out of it? Just, um, just boredom? Well, it, you know, like, in order for me, like, for example, uh, the work that we did, well, that we do at, at well, at my current job, working in, uh, in immigration, business immigration, not exactly the most exciting work in the world, <laughs> as you well know. But I learned over time how to focus better um, because... I was, I'm actually interested in the topic of immigration to begin with. Now, that's not to say I like the work. You know, it's monotonous, it's repetitive. But by the same token, as over time as I learned how to do it, it became less daunting for me to focus. Nonetheless, I still have trouble focusing because there's so many people, you know, sending me messages at a time. My attention is easily, my attention span is not... Uh, the greatest, like, you know, I won't... What was it like in school for you? Well, even with the medicine, it was very difficult um, if I wasn't interested in a topic. Like, in math, I did very poorly because I couldn't couldn't get into it. I couldn't focus on it. I couldn't... um, It just just wasn't something that appealed to me, whereas in history, uh, in social sciences, English, writing, I really loved that, English literature. So it was so easy for me to breeze through those classes. And science was fun, and there was a lot of exciting things to do and experiments. Um, I, I think of it. Think of ADHD like this. You know, you like to see that shining thing. You, you don't want you don't want some dull, boring. You know, you don't want to look at some dull, boring-looking painting. You want something that's vibrant, that jumps out, that calls your attention. What keeps your attention the most? Is it that the speaker? Like changes topics so that you have to like bring your attention to, you know, different things a lot. Or I, I would say I would say it's how the speaker talks. Um, I am interested in a wide variety of topics. Like it's it's a topic and how the speaker speaking about it. If it's like you know, well today we're going to be talking about microorganisms. Ben, uh, someone like, someone who talks like Ben Stein. Yeah, you know, like for drugs. Like that, no. I, I'm turning off, you know, the TED talk. If you're going to be speaking like that, or 
I'm tuning you out. I can't, I can't do that. Like it's so, it's so difficult for me. If somebody doesn't show a bit of a spark, a bit of passion, how they speak about a topic for me, it's very important that when you're talking about something, if you are an expert in this subject, you show that you actually give a shit about this topic. Right. Um, like if I feel like somebody just regurgitating, you know, lines at me, you know, like, oh, I'm just reading some of this, this is everything, it's like I do this all the time, and it's like, well, if you don't care about the topic, why should I? Why should I, as the audience, be invested in you if you're not even invested in your own topic? But is it, now, and, is medication required, or is it just, like, the go-to solution that, you know, doctors apply? Like, is, it, is, it, is there anything about it that makes medication necessary? Or like if you had, let's say you had meditation classes or things that helped guide your attention on a regular basis so that you're controlling your focus, could you, could you do that without necessarily having to be medicated? So what I was about to say is the answer is yes, because I have been doing that for over 13 years. I haven't taken medication for 13 years. Uh, I put myself through college. I got my bachelor's, I got my master's, and you know, I've worked full-time professional jobs without any medication whatsoever. But, but, it took a lot of hard lessons. It took a lot of mistakes uh-huh. in order for me to learn. Um, and that goes into the second and most important aspect of ADHD, behavioral. People with ADHD tend to be more impulsive, and their decision making, not really think through the consequences of their actions because they want immediate gratification. And there's also that aspect of not understanding social boundaries, creating unfortunate misunderstandings with other people. Um, so give me, the, I would, give me an example of like outside the classroom, some of the challenges you had. Well, the biggest one was, uh, you know, was dating or just even friend, regular friendships with women. Because some women mistaked my friendliness um, for me making advances. As a person with ADHD, I don't really, figuratively and literally, I have an issue. I don't see space, you know, like I like to be close to people when I'm talking to them. Mm -hmm. It's how I express myself, how I talk. And sometimes I feel like that made people a little uncomfortable because they thought maybe I had intentions towards them but that wasn't the case there was so many there were so many things too like even with dating a lot of people said i went too fast or because that's just kind of how i am like if i really like something and get really excited or if i really like someone it's my personality you know people with adhd tend to have tend to have emotional outbursts they tend to have be very um <laughs> i wouldn't say like super emotional but like they tend to be very, yeah, I guess emotional. <laughs> but it's just kind of like there's, there, there are some moments when I have almost a bipolar-like experience where it's like I experience very extreme lows and then I experience very, like, you know, highs, so to speak. And that can be very difficult for most people to be around. Yeah. Um, when a person can experience such extreme emotions within the span of a day, uh, be completely different. Like, you know, there, there are times when, and I have a tendency to do this, to overthink things because anxiety is part of that as well. We're constantly fidgeting, we're constantly moving, and we are constantly anxious. Like, everything makes me anxious. Everything. It's like, oh, are my guests going to arrive on time? Oh, they're, they're late. Are they coming? They forget. Do they, do they, are they leaving? And then, like, every thought branches off into another thought. And then it's like, oh, do I have enough food? Do I buy the drinks? Can they drink? So what, what, what do you find helps, like, calm yourself when you're in that state? Like, does it, do, um, so does it regularly, like, run away with you? Or you find you, like, you can recognize it and, like, control it? I'm, I'm more experienced now, um, but it still slips through the cracks. But what I try to do is, you know, usually I have a couple friends that I talk to, but as of late, I don't, I don't want to pawn it off on anyone, and I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, he's just going to call me when he feels that way, because that's not true about me. That's not who I am. So what I try to do is I try to do something that relaxes me, you know, listening to music, maybe reading, reading or 
playing video games or even working out. I just try to find something to take my mind off things. And I try to, um, you know, do mental exercises where it's like you're overthinking it, relax. I try to give people space for me during those times because I don't want them to be around me. How, how long does it take for you to, like, calm down? Or, like, once you, once you calm down, does it happen? Like, do you have to constantly be doing it throughout the day? Or, like, is there one period of day where it's acute and then once you once you do your exercises or distract yourself or go for a walk, like, then it subsides? Or is it it's always... Um, it, depends, it depends on how severe it is. If I'm able to, you know, assuage my own concerns, like, you know, the other day I thought that one of my friends was mad at me. And then when I saw her and I talked to her, it turns out everything was okay and then I was instantly fine. But in that time period where I thought maybe she was upset with me, I was like, I was like out of it for a good three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, like it can be, my anxiety is very debilitating and I have had anxiety attacks before when so, feeling overwhelmed, for example. So is it, so pu- is for it, me, is it purely chemical based? Like what is it the doctor uh, me- measures when you're, when you're diagnosed? Like what are they looking at to know? Like, Oh yes, this person definitely. I mean, are they just observing behavior? Um, or they, it's chemical and behavioral, I believe. Um, it has been so long since <laughs> since they did the test on me, so I I can't exactly remember. But um, I know there are a lot of people out there who have not been diagnosed with uh, ADD, including or ADHD, including a lot of my friends. So you, you know, were, sometimes you were never shown like a, a a brain scan or anything of like. This is the activity in your brain that indicates that you've got ADHD. Probably my parents were, but to be frank, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I did, because I, because like it is, it is indeed chemical. Because like ADHD is like a purely chemical. It's um, it's literally, it's literally like the idea that I, I'm, I'm wired literally differently than everybody else. The way I like to describe ADHD is this, you know. Like, people talk about, oh, oh, you know, if you take the medicine, it helps. But this is what I want to, like, touch on with regards to the medicine. And then I'll get back to the point about the chemical brain. Because um, I've actually what, thought, thought about it even in the context of CP, like, with me having cerebral palsy. Like, cerebral palsy, I know, is there's some, it's some oxygen deprivation causing some brain damage, right? That then, right. before you're born, subsequently affects your your motor skills and your and your your muscle responses but i've never i've never seen a scan to even know like oh this is the part of your brain that's damaged that's that's yeah. causing cp i mean it's just as far as I, it's just what i've been told okay what they found in the studies of adhd is that um, you know the synapses in your brain they communicate differently than people without adhd you know uh, a normal person would be able to process things you know What's the way? Because I was reading about it, I just can't remember how they described it. But it was like, it was basically the communication between different parts of the brain, you know. When people have different thoughts, they, they have sort of a filter. Uh, people without with ADHD don't really have a filter for their thoughts. Their thoughts run on and on and on. I can literally stay up all night thinking about something if it's really bothering me and I can't, and I don't sleep. Insomnia has been... Like, trouble sleeping has been a long-time feature that I've struggled with since uh, my teenage years. So it's been been over a decade off and on of sleeping problems. There was a time period when I had to take melatonin every night to fall asleep. And what what does melatonin do? Well, melatonin is a chemical that you naturally need to sleep. So it's just like you're supplementing it and adding extra so you could fall asleep. Sometimes my body rejects it and says, oh, you dare think that melatonin could make me sleep? Hell no. ADHD is more powerful. ADHD is the strongest there is. <laughs> and, <laughs> it smashes it. Like, do you, do you, smashes it like the Hulk. <laughs> like, are there other things that help? Like, do you exercise before going to bed? Or, like, do you yeah, avoid watching TV? Because that TV, like, stimulates you more? and. Um, TV can either overstimulate me or I'll just pass the fuck out. But since, oh, excuse me. I don't know the language barriers on your show. No, there's, um, no, there's no language barrier. Don't worry about it. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> just making sure. 
you, um, feel free to use them all. It's perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> well, um, what was the question again? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm I'm just curious. Like, are there? Do you have certain rituals that help you go to sleep because you know yeah, your brain's um, understand? So, like, are you avoid so, avoiding television, uh, or you're exercising, or you're you're you know reciting a mantra before you go to sleep, or anything like that? On weekdays, on weekdays, I just fall asleep from exhaustion from working. On weekends, I exercise like crazy. Um, you know, there was one day when I went running and then I went swimming. Running in the morning, swimming at night, and I passed out. It was the best sleep ever. Sometimes I just tire my body out by hiking, running, whatever. I I like to try and do things naturally without pills or chemicals or drugs because I just I think it's important. You're not relying so heavily on uh, chemicals. Yeah. They're not natural to the body. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good that that like you don't have to. D- you know, sort of invent a whole different routine that you can still do the usual activities to tire yourself out and get better sleep. Oh, yeah. I I think it's a, it's a definite improvement over the pill-induced sleep that I had to use prior in my early 20s. It's a definite improvement. What happened that you were able to, like, wean yourself off medication if you were on medication growing up? When did you realize it I wasn't just, necessary or what adverse effects was, was it having on you? Well, Adderall... Adderall makes you like the Incredible Hulk in some ways. Um, so Adderall, okay. First of all, this is this is what I want to emphasize. Anybody listening about the medicine, the medicine does not help people with ADHD concentrate. It just instead of thinking about twelve things, you're thinking about five things. Okay. I'm just making that clear. Like you can focus on stuff, but you're just thinking about less stuff. So it helps you. It just, you know, it helps your brain, you know, stay on track. But it's not like, oh, you take Adderall, you're instantly focused. And another thing I would like to emphasize about Adderall and Ritalin is that they increase your anxiety, which is very paradox, which is a paradox and very ironic because people with ADHD often suffer from crippling anxiety. You're giving this medicine to say, oh, we're going to help you focus, but we're going to give you more anxiety. You, you've Which been, is gonna you, throw you, your focus off to begin with? Yeah, that's weird. You've been on both. It's, you've been on both Adderall and Ritalin. Yeah, I, I took them all: Stratera, Adderall, Ritalin, whatever the hell. Uh, you know, my friends and I used to joke in high school that if I if I was less of a nice person and more of a hustler, I could have made money just selling Adderall to everyone at the school. <laughs> so what? And what? Um, so now, but now you're not on anything. No, not for a very long time, uh, for over a decade. Oh, that's great. Um, so one of the effects of Adderall that people, anybody who's taken Adderall, whether over-the-counter or through some shady doctor, which is very common in the United States, you know, all with, you know, prescription medication abuse, knows that, you know, either Adderall helps you focus on the task that you want to focus on intensely, or you're intensely focused on some random bullshit. Like, there's a spot on the table. I have to clean it. It's not going away. There's a spot so what, on the table. So what what happened that you were able to wean yourself off the medication? You just flat out stopped? Um, I turned 18 years old, and I said, I'm making a decision. I, I straight up told my parents, you don't have decision-making rights on this. I do. And it's my life and my body, and I don't feel like this medication is doing much, making much of a difference. And I would rather try to learn how to live on my own, like, you know, deal with my disorder uh, on my own. Well, that's like, great. On my own terms. Congratulations. Yeah. Were, were you able to go cold turkey or it took some time? Or Yeah, no, cold turkey, cold turkey, but the effects were pretty bad. And I had massive falling out after high school with many people. And it took me a long time to, to you know, patch up those relationships. So, so, um, so what, happens to you, what happened to you when you went off of them? Like, can you describe a little um, bit of the... My behaviors, my behaviors became very erratic, uh, borderline, borderline, um, yeah, borderline unhinged. And I, I don't, I don't want to go into detail. So what do you use, like, so you stay on a specific diet? So celiac, so the origins of that, you know, I, I was about 20 years old, about to turn 21, literally 
a couple days before turning 21, and I started manifesting, a couple months actually, I started manifesting these weird flu-like symptoms. So I had had a flu a week prior to that, and I thought, oh man, another flu? Like already? I thought I was getting over this. You know, I started vomiting, I would have like bouts of nasty diarrhea, I mean TMI, but like... Do you think Do you think any of this could have been like a side effect from all the medication you were taking for ADHD? It's possible. It's possible because I don't know, I don't know the negative effects of Ritalin and Adderall, but I do know that my mom mentioned that the doctor had told us that it had stunted my growth somewhat. Like I would have been taller, for example, without taking all that med. Uh-huh. Uh, there were other side effects that they were still studying at the time. I mean, I think personally, a celiac, well, celiac, yeah, people with ADHD and autism are more vulnerable in terms of, what is it, autoimmune disorders. They're very vulnerable to food allergies. They're very proclive because they say that um, ADHD is connected intimately with gut health. Really? And gastrointestinal issues, yeah. I've done a lot of research on it. Um, when I lived in Barcelona, for example, they had a lot of celiac foundations. La Fundación de los Celiacos, por ejemplo. And um, it had a lot of information for me, which was great. First of all, I learned how to I learned how to read in Spanish that way. <laughs> Secondly, I learned a lot of great information from them about, you know, celiac disease, how to treat it, how to eat it. So the diet that I followed before was very extreme. I was so scared of eating anything that I dropped from 192 pounds to 145. Wow. Um, yeah, and the problem was I was running too too much. I just didn't know what to do. I tried to keep working out, but I did the wrong exercises, and I got too skinny. And uh, it was really bad for a man my height. You think I'm about 5'10", and, you know, I was... At my worst, I was at 139 pounds. You know, when I started finally gaining weight again was when I went to Spain to live and just living off of seafood, stuff like that. Do you take uh, Do you take probiotics? Yes. Um, I actually need to be more consistent about doing that now, though, I must admit. <laughs> but I am definitely not skinny now. <laughs> So, th- so things you know, like pro- I, probiotics and a vegan diet would that did that would that help? Oh, vegan diet. Well, first of all, I don't think I can do a vegan diet. I like my meats too much. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a vegan diet, but probiotics does help. So those help out. Like I have this Natu- what I like to call na- natural little- yogurt and stuff like that. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Like anything like that. I mean, yes, I have to rush to the bathroom more than a normal person. But if it means I don't get gut cancer, well, fuck, I'll take it. <laughs> like, because, again, people with celiac are vulnerable. You know, when the, when, the, when, the, when COVID first started, I was very scared. Because, you know, celiac is not just an allergy, it's an autoimmune disorder that makes me vulnerable to stuff like that. So, you know, I'm just... So, so, it, does, I it, mean, so yeah, you should take probiotics and vitamins then? And... Yeah. Well, you have to take vitamins, like multivitamins too, because there are certain vitamins that people get from eating uh, gluten-containing products that I can't get. I mean, I found, it took me a while to find the foods to substitute the vitamins that I needed, but once I found the right diet, you know, I was able to, to get by and put on some weight and feel normal again. That's what? all I wanted. Have you ever have you been to a nutritionist? Are there certain things like are there certain vitamins uh, you know for sure? A couple sure? Of years ago, to be honest, I need to go back because I need to get a get my intestines checked to make sure I'm okay. So what uh, what vitamins do you normally like are deficient in? If you know, I I actually do not know. Um, I've been taking a lot of multivitamin, but through the power of Google, <laughs> I think it was like vitamin like D and B. Yeah, B and D, I think. Okay. Um, there was also iron. D, you get from going outside, right? Just get yeah, in, get so some, that's fine. Get some sunlight. Yeah, okay. And yeah. What, and and what, I'm never, I'm never afraid to go outside, as you know. I love to walk around. I love and what, stuff what, outside. what are foods that are high in B? Carrots. Yeah, uh, carrots, which I love. I love my pepper carrots. Do you drink? Do you drink uh, a lot of carrot juice? Yes. I do kale and carrot juice, and I know it's very California of me. Um, 
But um, yeah, I love my mixed juices and uh, my roommate makes great smoothies. I, I haven't had car- I haven't had a carrot juice in a while. Actually, I'd like to have some. Well, you know, if if you're ever in La Casa Yoni, Brett uh, Brett used to work for Jamba Juice, and he makes killer fruit smoothies. Um, There's we can a- add carrot one. Nice. I'll definitely uh, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Have you ever been to uh, Los Charles in Mountain View? Off, no, actually I actually have not. Tell off, me about that. Off of uh, Castro Street, they make uh, fresh orange and carrot juice, or you can get a mixed fifty fifty. I've I've got oh. I've gotten their fresh carrot juice. It's really good. They grind it for you right there. Just put it through the juicer. <laughs> you know, I I love I love freshly squeezed juice. Uh, it's something that I, I came to appreciate when I was living in Bogota, in Colombia. You know, just watching them, like, make that fresh juice, and you're just like, you know, that's how it should be, man. shouldn't be this processed crap with extra sugar and all this shit. Yeah. Like, it was simple and to the point, you know, agua, fruta, azúcar, and there you go. Like, you got the fruit, you got the water, and you got the sugar. Maybe some salt and some uh, chili pepper. Yeah, well, depending where you are, like, you know, Mexico, Chile is everything. Oh, my Lord, I was joking with my friend from Veracruz yesterday, like, but you guys might as well just have chili on a stick and forget the fruit and everything else. Yeah. Because that's what you eat. Remind, remind me again of your, your background, because you said you've lived in Spain and you've and you've been to Mex- <laughs> Mexico, you've been to South America. So, like, what? what oh, yeah. What is your heritage? Is it Spanish or is it from Mexico? I believe it's from Mexico. My dad... And his family were never clear about that. It was like Spanish Apache, and then it was Mexican. I'm like, Dad, which one is it? You know, <laughs> I don't think he was even sure. <laughs> so, but, but it's from your dad's side. Yeah, it's from my dad's side for sure. Okay. You know, he he um, he definitely always pushed me and encouraged me. You should learn Spanish. You know, and he would always joke. Well, he, he wasn't saying it as a joke. He's like, marry a Latin woman. <laughs> he was Sarah, Latina woman. Did, did, he, did, like, he, did he speak Spanish to you growing up, or you learned it in school? Um, only a little bit. He didn't speak too much Spanish, because um, he didn't really use it that much. Um, he spoke more growing up, he told me, uh, but not as much when he was older. Where did, but where, he did say it. Where did he grow up, your dad? He grew up in San Francisco, between San Francisco, Colorado, and Detroit. His father worked in, um, my dad uh, ended up working at the Ford factory. He worked in labor. He was part of the labor unions that went on strike for better rate wages. Uh, he was part of management. Um, and he was let all, he was let go in the 80s when uh, there was more competition coming from uh, foreign automobile makers. So what, and what, then he ended up. What what part of Mexico is is his family from? Again, I, I don't know. They are they've been in the U.S. for many generations. Oh, okay. So they were Chicanos. You know, they were here for a long time. They may have been the ancestors of like the Mexicanos that lived in those states um, when the U.S. like basically stole that land from Mexico. And that's my theory. Okay, but but I don't know because like they. That family said a lot of things, and some of it was true, <laughs> some of it was nonsense. Um, so it was hard to tell. Um, Where, where's, your, yeah, my, where's your mom's family from? Uh, oh, my mom's, my grandmother is from Oklahoma. They're, fun fact about our family, um, our, our, my ancestor on my, my mom's side uh, arrived on the Mayflower. Okay. Um, and they were, you know, British, French, Irish uh, heritage. And uh, my grandmother came here during the Great Depression. She was born in 1938. She was, uh, she came, you know, during the whole Dust Bowl. And she settled down in Fresno. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, so she's, she's seen a lot of stuff. You know, she and I always joke, I'm like, uh, you, uh, he went from Roosevelt to this guy, yeah. <laughs> and um, did she did she ever read uh, *Grapes of Wrath* by Steinbeck? Yes, she did, and uh, *Children of the Dust Bowl*. And she told me she remembered um, her. I mean, she has a lot of great stories. Obviously, being over eighty years old, 
Um, you know, she grew up in Oklahoma and came here and she eventually settled in Fresno. Uh, my mother was born and raised in Fresno along with her four siblings. Nice. I've got, I've got, I've got an aunt and uncle that live in Fresno. Yeah, yeah. She's from Central Valley, but she told me, my mom always told me I couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> it's funny because my mom's like an urban cowgirl <laughs> in many ways. She's like a city girl, but she's a cowgirl at heart. Um, country girl. Oh, so she, and, you know, she can, uh, like, she, she doesn't mind farm life? She loves, she's a great horseback rider. She taught me. She rides horses quite well, magnificently, because she grew up with one. Um, she doesn't mind farm life, but she doesn't like being too far away from essential needs, like hospitals, like that. Where do you, where do you, um, where, where do you ride horses at? Or where did you learn to ride horses? Uh, my mom used to take me to these ranches in different parts of California. In Fresno or other... Somewhere else. Yeah, and, and not in Fresno, but like uh, different areas. Nice, that's cool. I've I've never been horseback riding. I've been once, I think. Uh, they brought in elementary school. They used to bring. There was some part of the year, like early spring or early summer or something, where they'd bring horses. Teachers at the school were a big proponent of like animals, interaction with animals, helping kids with disabilities. So there was there was yeah. there was one instance where they brought horses um for the kids to sit on. So I got to sit on one, but I've never been like hardcore ho- I got to sit on one for like, you know, 5 minutes. But I've never been like trotting around. I mean, sometimes I feel nervous. Um sometimes horseback riding makes me nervous. Um cuz I always get paranoid the horse is going to throw me off. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the story that I heard as a kid about Christopher Reeves always scared me. Um, you know, oh, this yeah. big when he got when he got par- guy. when he got paralyzed. Yeah, like how, yeah, how he got paralyzed while he was on a horse. And you know, I know it's kind of exaggerated to do that, but like, you know, some of the horses that I my mom always well, my mom was such an experienced rider as a horse person riding is that you know the horse tests you before it allows you to ride it. You're not just going to get out of there and the horse can be like, all right. No, the horse can be like, who's this motherfucker? <laughs> He'll be like, who's this guy? <laughs> did like, you, oh, what, you think you're going to ride me, buddy? Did, I don't think so. Did you ever see that documentary, Buck? Yeah. It's about the the guy that the, the Horse Whisperer movie was based on? Yeah. And he was he was all about, like, your, your, your temperament, you know, informs how the horse reacts to you. So if you've got, well, if you're calm, the horse will be calm. But if you're tense, the horse is tense. If you're, if you've got, you know, shit going on in your head unresolved, like the horse picks up on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the horse could probably definitely feel uh, my anxiety, so to speak, at the time. So I calmed down and I became firmer and then the horse started to respect me. He respected my authority. Nice. Yeah, I, I have another friend who who won't get near a horse for the same reason. He he much preferred uh, uh, driving. But I, I was like, why? Like you've got like you could, there's this potential for the symbiotic relationship. He's like, no way. That, that's that's a, a, a eleven hundred pounds of like you know if that animal decides it, it doesn't want me, then I'm done. Right? Or it it, it just it wants to throw me off or. Or kick me like oh, I'm I'm done in an instant. It's like no way. A car does only what I say. I'd much rather drive. <laughs> well, you know that's the problem though. People don't appreciate uh, nature. They don't appreciate um, organic things anymore. It's like oh, you know, I want this machine. I I'd be open to trying it. I was scared as a kid, but I, I'd be open to trying it. I'd need I'd need help like swinging my leg over. So I'd need. Right, but- I need like a step stool or something, but I I would like to try it. You you know what you could do you could do cosplay as uh, Yul Brenner in Westworld, you know? <laughs> the, the gunslinger. Like <laughs> I uh, I watched that movie recently, and I was like, I feel like this movie inspired Terminator. Um, like great movie, great movie. That it's. It, 
um it's what they they've made the hbo show after right or the the yeah or exactly that Michael or Hutton. that original movie was based on a book or something or what yeah it was big no it was uh it was a screenplay written by michael Crichton and directed by him and then he wrote the book based on it on the movie oh okay and then like you know michael Crichton has breaks i really love his books um, I mean, I know we started with ADHD as a topic, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like... Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, I was a big Michael Crichton fan, too, in, in middle school. I read all of his books in middle school. Like, oh, I, I like Timeline. I like Prey. Um, my dad was a big fan, so I read all the books. Those, those, were, those, those, were, those were later. Those were, like, late 90s, early 2000s. But I read uh, um, I read Andromeda Strain. I, so I had... Um, Obviously, since I'm not playing sports, I, I was a big reader growing up. So I read Andro- yeah. Andromeda Strain, Terminal Man, Congo, Sphere, Jurassic Park, of course. Oh, yeah. um, Congo, Congo was a very good one, but a very terrible movie adaptation. Not even Bruce Campbell could save that movie. Yeah, it was, um, it was terrible. I liked Sphere yeah, better. Was, um, I liked it, Sphere as a book better, but both movies were bad. There was a Sphere the movie only, and a, a Congo movie, and they were both terrible. The only good part in that movie is when they sing California Love together. Um, that's the literally only good part of that movie. Everything else was was crap. Um, 13th, 13th, 13th Warrior is based off of uh, Eaters of the Dead. That's a Crichton story. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, I think Michael Crichton was a very prolific author. And his his books are very meaningful now. You know, he talked about pandemics and nanotechnology, you know, genetics. Yeah. Um, he was actually an actual, wasn't he an actual scientist? Well, um, yeah, I think so. I think he studied like neurology or something like that. Yeah, he was a he was a very brilliant man. I think his stories are great. I mean, I think the one thing that I would have liked to see more of in uh, the actual I, I love the movie Jurassic. Only the first one, the rest were shit. Yeah. Um, um, look, I love The Lost World. It's a guilty pleasure as much as anyone, but it's it's not a great movie. <laughs> it's um, actually uh, Exhibit A is what I like to call the case against unnecessary sequels. Yeah, all, um, all through middle school, I was either reading Michael Crichton or uh, Stephen King. And that's where I read <laughs> like all the Dark Tower books. And, uh, I, I love how Stephen King admitted that most of his great stories were written while he was, you know, on cocaine. Like, where he was basically like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to write about an interdimensional clown and this giant turtle. Yeah. (laughs) That's my favorite book of his. Yeah, it's it's a great, it's a a great fucking book. I mean, um, I saw it. Language version and the Barnes and Noble today. I was very tempted to buy it and just read the whole thing. You know, kind of thinking about it. Um, and um, Ethel is what it's called. Ethel. And um, how, yeah, there's a lot of. How was Timeline? I know they made a movie of it, but I never saw it. I never saw that movie. Actually, I wouldn't know. Um, like most of the Michael Crichton adapted. I don't know. Out of the movies that they adapted of his his books, the only ones I liked were the first Jurassic Park and Westworld. Um, those were the only ones I liked. Those were the only ones I felt captured the spirit of Crichton, you know, books. What like was what he wanted to express in his story? Oh yeah, Although, oh yeah, Rising Sun. Rising Sun was another good one. Oh yeah, I forgot about the one. The one with Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes. Yeah, back when Wesley had a career. Yeah. You know, but before Wesley decided he was too good to play, pay taxes. Um, <laughs> Ra- um, Ri- Rising Sun was good. Yeah, Rising Sun was a great movie. I really liked that movie. Um, yeah, okay, that's three then. Um, but. No, I'm not, yeah, ta- like, I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the book. The book was awesome. That was what, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The book, the book was fantastic. Um, I think Crichton. I think um, one of the things I would have liked, what I didn't like that they cut out in the movie of Jurassic Park, um, which they had in the book, was that him and Die in the book. Um, 
Yeah, he gets he dies in the book. He gets killed by copies, right? And in the book, he's more of a shady businessman, like a Donald Trump or a Vince McMahon type character. You know, a con man. You know, he just he just cares about his investment, the park, and the whole throughout the entire book, you see like just how little care he put into actually designing the park because he just saw a dollar sign. In fact, I'm, I'm real dinosaur. In fact, most of his books, like what wasn't the villain like usually the the head of the corporation or whatever, like usually the yeah. co- the corporate character was usually an evil character. Exactly, his books are very anti corporate and also anti capitalist um, in some aspects. And did you ever read Disclosure? No, I didn't read that one. The uh, the reverse sexual harassment that was the Michael Douglas movie adaptation. Constitutes a classic. Any particular decade, or any at, at any any movie um, from any era. Of evil. Um, the third man, the third man, touch of evil. Is, yeah, I don't have, uh, I don't have, uh, what's it called, Citizen Kane. Oh come on, but, man! You talk about classics, like you gotta have that one. Oh, I know, I know. It'll be there. It'll be there, buddy. Um, with regards to the seventies, you know, I got the Godfather collection. How can you not? Uh, Apocalypse Now. Um, I have. Uh, Dirty Harry, Jaws, um, like all the Dirty Harry movies. My my um, my friend in India introduced me to Dirty Harry. Yeah, that was those are fun. Yeah, those are those are fun little movies. Even if the message in those movies is not exactly best message you want to be about policing in America. Um, the only, the best message is outside the law is the best justice. <laughs> yeah, all those vigilante movies. Of the vigilante movies from the 70s, I did love Death Wish. I'm going to kill you, Bunk. You know, Charles Bronson. Bunk. He's Charles Bronson, Bunk. I I was thinking of picking up The Great Escape as well. Um, that, with Steve McQueen. That one's okay. That one's okay. I've, I have, um, I've never seen French Connection all the way through. Oh, I have the movie. Um, I have the French Connection, actually. Uh, that, that, I got it. That I'd like to watch. And uh, One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. I have that. Yeah, that that, um, that was a good one. I have Alien, which is a seventies movie. Um, I, I've told I've told you about uh, Oliver Harper on YouTube, right? Does the retrospective he, reviews? Yeah, Oliver Harper was the name. Yeah, he does. He does good. Uh, good reviews of all the eighties films, seventies and eighties films. Oh, definitely. You know, I just I have a ton of seventies and eighties films. There's um. There's a couple of Robert Redford films that I'm trying to collect now. I have my Redford collection that I'm going to start up on. And, of course, I have, uh, I'm going to get Enter the Dragons, because I love Bruce Lee. I, I, downs- um, I downsized my DVD collection after college, because I was just on Amazon every other week. And I, I got, I got temp- there got to be too many, so I, I, I gave away, I sold half of them back to uh, Amoeba. But I had, I have Enter the Dragon. I, I used to have Cuckoo's Nest, but I got rid of it. Um, the only Redford movies I have are The Sting and uh, Spy Game. That's a good one. I like Spy 
my dad was an avid DVD collector, uh, something that he passed down to me. Um, right now, I've just been stalking the apartment with like <laughs> the movies that I loved. Uh, uh, growing up, I have a lot of '80s and '90s action movies. Um, how does he I don't keep, have any Nicholas. How does he keep them? Does uh, he keep them in the box, or does he have like a binder? Um, keeps them in the box. We have. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to end up getting a little bit of a small rack to hold them in. Uh, I put them in a drawer right now. <laughs> um, I'm trying not to bring any more. I promise, I am. How, but, how big uh, is this collection? The whole thing. Or just what I have. <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, hundreds. Hundreds. I mean... So they're all on book, bookshelves in the house or something? Oh, all over. There are boxes everywhere in the house. There's there's like 10 boxes full of DVDs. Nice. In the house. Yeah, it's... Uh, we, we just have a ton of DVDs, man. I just... Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, are, um, are you going to ever take them out and just arrange them all in alphabetical order and have them all on one big shelf somewhere? Or? thinking about it, you know, if I ever buy my own house, I'll end up coming and taking all of them and making my own little library for my books and my movie collection. Um, you know, I've always joked with uh, with my mom and my friends that, like, if if I ever do find that special someone, like, she's gonna like to have, she's gonna have to like to have a few drinks, she's gonna like to, she's gonna have to have a good sense of humor, and she's gonna have to like movies. <laughs> because, I I just love movies. I fucking love movies. Um, I, I can't even tell you. Like one of the hardest things during this whole period has not been has been not going to the movie theater. Um, you know, some of our good times were going to the movies together and yeah. watching movies. Even, I'm, even I'm, if we, I, I I have an equal love for movies, to be sure. That's yeah. Why, oh, for sure, man. That, like that's why I was uh, I, I was remember, trying to control myself. That's why I had to like get rid of half my DVDs because I just didn't have the space. <laughs> And I had to evaluate, I, I like, I, like, yeah, I like having I these, I but how many times have I really watched this? Okay, not that many. Like, I had all seven seasons of West Wing. Um, I gave away my Die Hards, which I shouldn't have done. I gave that to my roommate. Oh, dude. Dude, that collection dies hard, man. You should have never given away Die Hard. Like, those movies are great, the first three. My dad was always a big I, James Bond fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually have... Um, the entire Connery collection, and I have the uh, Dalton collection, the Bronson collection, and the Craig collection. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, only one I like is Goldeneye. The other two were garbage. They're on Netflix yeah, now, um, actually. I, I, there's a reason why I only took Goldeneye with me. <laughs> I did like the one with uh, Jonathan Price, though, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, that one's goofy. Um, it's on Netflix right now. I watched, like, 15 minutes of it. It's so weird. I mean, at least at least Jonathan Tice was a good villain. I I thought he was a great villain personally. Yeah, the, but world is it, not enough. Tomorrow never dies. Those were weird. Uh, the Dalton ones were kind of weird. Feud would kill. License to kill. Um, um, the Dalton ones were a little too gritty for Bond. Um, I don't. I don't. I, mean, mind, I like. I don't mind Roger Moore. Roger Moore's funny. Sean Connery said it best. He said. The difference between me and Roger Moore is that Roger Moore played a parody of James Bond. What, yeah. What do you like, th- what do you what do you think Connery's best Bond film was? Goldfinger. Oh, uh, well, I would say it's between Goldfinger and From Russia with Love. I I had I used to have uh, You Only Live Twice on tape because that had the big like uh, secret base. You know, that was the one that was like the. The missile, or that can like eat a whole satellite, and then there's like yeah, a, I remember. I, I was saying the the Connery movie, you only live twice. That the the missile ate the satellite, and then went to like a secret underwater base, and like I think the base was the same secret base that they used in uh, Enter the Dragon. Well, it was. It was actually fun fact. It was uh, it was the same secret base they used in Enter the Dragon. I think they reused. That. Nice. Um, I, I did think um, I I liked you only live twice, but I thought that whole idea of you know you know it didn't age well in one aspect or uh, well, in a couple aspects like you know pretending that Bond was Japanese um, that was uh, a bit 
ridiculous. Um, so you like you like all the mainstream stuff, but what what about like real abstract like auteur movies like uh, um, Pie or Requiem for a Dream by uh, Darinovsky? Actually, uh, Requiem for a Dream is a great film. I that was one of my friends' um, uh, favorite movies, and she'd always show it to me. Are you, um, are you a good friend of mine? Are you a big foreign movie fan? Yeah, um, The Battle of Algiers is a great, it's a great film. Uh, and um, you know, Pan's Labyrinth obviously is a great one. And there's another one called Chronos, which I haven't seen in a very long time. And Les Intocables, you know, the French film that was later adapted into a Kevin Hart movie. And yeah, I do like foreign films. Who do you, who do you like between? Uh... Which director is your favorite between uh, Iñárritu, uh, Cuarón, and uh, Guillermo del Toro? Guillermo, man. I like Cuarón, but Gravity wasn't that great of a movie, in my opinion. I, it was just Sandra Bullock screaming about, you know, falling, floating off into space. What, what, and then George Clooney. What about all his early uh, romantic films? Like, Talk to Her? and. Okay, those are good. Those are good films. But Gravity was not my favorite. I I found Gravity to be... Um, Qu- Cuaron loves uh, uh, Penelope Cruz, right? I believe so. Cuaron is a good director. Guillermo is a good director. Um, although... Um, Cuaron did the third Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I think he did, actually. Yeah, that was that was that the best was, one. Yeah, dude, that was a fantastic film. Um, the Prisoner of Azkaban, I believe. Yeah, was. yeah. That's that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's 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 how I first learned about him. But I, but mom used to like uh, all of his romantic films. Yeah, he used to make a lot of romantic movies. I think he made a few movies. I don't. I think he made a few movies with uh, Javier Bardem, very good actor, one of my favorite Spanish actors. No Country for Old Men, one of his best roles by far. Yeah, and he was a great. And talk about a great Bond villain. You know, he was fantastic in Skyfall. Really good. Oh yeah, that's right. He was in. Sky- <laughs> was it Skyfall or was it a different one? No, it was Skyfall. You know, his introduction was so sufficiently creepy and menacing, and you know the fact that he turns you know Bond's seductiveness against him, you know, to play mind games with him is fantastic. I just thought, wow, this is a great. You know, I watched it in Latin America. I they persuaded uh, this girl who worked in the hospital to go on a date. And um, <laughs> and um, put in some hard work on that one, buddy. <laughs> and um, we became very good friends because she was an artist on the side too. So she showed me some of her art, and we went to the movie. And I just remember people laughing at that scene, and I thought it was a great. It was really well done. The whole movie. I mean, there were some obvious problems with it, but like as a whole, that was one of the better movies that Craig made in terms of Bond. Yeah, I th- I thought everything about the movie was good except uh, until they got to his uh, house in Scotland towards the end, the like third act, fourth act. You know that uh, Sean Connery was supposed to, was supposed to play the caretaker in the old in the old uh, orphanage. They wanted Sean to do it, but then but then uh, Sean said that would take away from Daniel as as Bond because they would be like, oh, there's Sean Connery. Because uh, he thought about doing it, you know, coming in and making a cameo. Yeah, it'd be it'd be cool. To, it'd be it'd be cool to have him as like another agent or like somebody that he like bumps into. Yeah, like you know, like a senior, like a senior agent or something. Yeah, have done that. Yeah, because like you know, like say what you will, but Sean Connery will always be James Bond. Like, no matter what, like there are great a lot of great James Bonds, you know. And I think Craig has done a decent job. He's really, like, he's the first Bond with an actual story arc, which is which is saying something, you know, and he brought a grittiness to the role. Like, uh, Sean Connery even spoke about how much he loved Jennifer's Bond, saying that that's the Bond he wanted to play. He wanted it to be like the books. The books are pretty gritty. And the books have a story arc, you know, where Bond falls in love with Vesper. Uh, the character from Casino Royale. Because, like, if you put them in order, the order is Casino Royale, uh, Live and Let Die, um, then I think it's Her Majesty's Secret Service or Dr. No. Okay. And, like, and, no, no. And then Moonraker, 
Goldfinger. Like so, they shot the movies out of order. Have you have you um, read the books? Yes, I have read some of them. I do enjoy them. Uh, are they they actually good? Um, from what I remember, yes, but it's been many years, and I was young, so my taste might be different now if I read them. I, I got my dad a, a James Bond compendium. It's got like two of them or three three books in one volume. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to read them and see if they're worth anything. Which which books does it have? Like Casino Royale and Live and I Die are supposed to be pretty good. I, I, I forget. I I think it might be uh, Thunderball and something else. I, I, liked, I actually like Thunderball. That was a classic. Thunderball, I remember being... Uh, I remember the car, the submarine car. Yeah. That movie was way too long. It was like four hours. It was pretty long. And there, there, um, there are big chunks of it. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, they should just spy just to kill James Bond. <laughs> and I, I did like the climax. like an underwater, like, scuba diving battle. With <laughs> a spear gun. You know, like, those what? movies got more and more hokey as the time went on, especially with Roger Moore. What's the, Moore. What, what was the one where he's he he's, has to like play like war games with the villain and like they're they're playing some video game in his mansion and like every time you lose like the the you get shocked so and like that's that's Thunderball that's Thunderball is it Thunderball that's Thunderball yeah they they like wager like like fifty thousand dollars or something. Yeah, it's either that or never say never again. I think it's never say um, never. Yeah, Never Say Never Again was a remake of Thunderball. Really? That was the last one. Sorry. Yeah, it was. It was, it was the last one starring Sean Connery in 1983. Um, fun fact, um, Timothy Dalton was asked to play Bond a total of four times before finally accepting. He, uh, just a he, did, he did License to Kill. Yeah, and uh, In the Living Daylight. Living Daylight. He, he, was, he was asked to play on uh, Octopussy. Still cracks me up that name. And um, the one before that, not Moonraker, because Moonraker was not awful. That was a low point for franchise, for sure. I, I hated Moonraker. Um, I didn't mind it. I, I got a kick out of Jaws. The, 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 sets, the sets for Moonraker were awesome. That whole space station, it was cool, man. Oh, oh you, know what it, yeah, the, you know what it was? Um, the one that Dalton was asked to play on was Christopher Walken one, A View to Kill. <laughs> oh, man. Christopher Walken is a Nazi clone. Only Chris Walken, man. <laughs> only Chris, only he would be like, this sounds like a great idea. Can I die on the Golden Gate Bridge? <laughs> like, why, Chris? <laughs> why do you want to die on the Golden Gate Bridge? And I love how the end scene of that movie is just like him trying to kill him with an axe. I'm like, not even a gun or something, but an axe. Like only Chris Walken would be like, I want to kill him with a fire axe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Christopher Lee died weirdly in Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun. Christopher Lee was supposed to play Bond originally. He was good friends with the actual author of the books. They served in World War II together. Um, you know, he was, a, yeah, he was supposed to play Bond, but he was stuck in those hammer horror contracts. They would never let him go. And, uh, so he got typecast in those movies. But, you know what? Christopher Lee is the only actor to ever do Star Wars villain, uh, Bond villain, uh, yep. and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Villain. The three great, you know, the three great, uh, franchises. And you know he was Dracula, and so he's you know, he was, he's oh, played he's played villains a lot. Okay, yeah, he's a man. Do you have the full Bond set? The twenty three um, films. What are they up to now? Twenty five, twenty six. I think they're at twenty six or something like that. But yeah, they have quite a bit. Uh, have quite a bit of movies. Like yeah, I think like Daniel Craig's the the current movie he's making is his last as Bond. They're thinking of Henry Cavill as the replacement. And I'm I'm still holding out for Idris Elba. I, I want it to be Idris Elba. I, I think it's stupid that they didn't allow him to be Bond because of their stupid racism. But, you know, you can't really do anything about people's, like, 
idiotic um, he'd, be, he'd be awesome, dude. He'd be so good. He he's a he's a great Bond, fantastic person to play Bond. We're what? gonna have to do a second start of this because I have to get going. Okay, no problem, so, man. I it was a pleasure, man. If we can finish tomorrow, that'd be great. Sure. Um, whenever you want. If we can. It looks like you're going to have like three hours or four hours of the content, but <laughs> but that's what I expected. No, this so. is, this is, this, that's fine. This has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you. I mean, like it actually relieved me to talk about some of the stuff, you know, it was kind of a relief. All right, my friend. Well, take care and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. It's my pleasure, man. Okay, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Have fun. All right. Likewise. Take care. Bye.